morning, everybody. What a great day, right? Man, it's good to see some of you since there's no football this weekend. It was nice to see you. <laughs> Haven't seen you in three months. It's great to have you back. <laughs> no, we're glad that you're here today, whether you're a guest or you're part of our church family on a regular basis. And uh, I just want to say quickly two things. First of all, you received some cards. Football Sunday. How I many next weekend is the Super Bowl? All right. And we've got the Patriots against the Seahawks. We got any Patriot fans? Boo. Do we have any Seahawk fans? All right. Awesome. Well, listen, next weekend, here's what's cool. During our Sunday services, now on, on basically Friday night through Saturday night, we're going to be having the youth conference, and it's going to be awesome. We've got guest speakers and uh, people that will be attending Saturday night service will get a little extra special blessing because we're going to have the youth leading worship. Our special guest speaker will be ministering. So if you want to double dip, next weekend's the weekend to do it, all right? So come on Saturday night. We're going to have all kinds of kids here, our normal Saturday night crowd. It's going to be incredible. But then Sunday is a special service, two services. We're starting a series, a brand new series called kind of like iPhone. We're calling it iLead. We've been talking about the fact that God wants us to stand up and lead. And so I'm going to start a leadership series. We're going to go through the book of Nehemiah. But one of the exciting things is Super Bowl Sunday, there are two teams. And on those teams are leaders, leaders on the field. And in fact, what's cool is we're going to have video footage with testimonies from players from the actual teams that are playing in the Super Bowl that are going to give a testimony or some thought or they're going to share something. They're believers and we're going to have an opportunity to hear from the players from the Super Bowl about their relationship with God on Super Bowl Sunday. How many think that's cool? So this is a perfect time to get your friends to church. The game isn't until 4 or 4.30. I forget when it starts. You have plenty of time to come and celebrate kind of football Sunday. I'm going to teach on leadership. We're going to hear from people like Mark Wilson, who's a strong Christian, who's the leader of the Seahawks offense. And it's an opportunity for us to stand up and lead. So invite your friends. Will you take that card? I know it's only one week to prepare, but take some cards. If you didn't get enough, go get more. Invite everybody you know. It's going to be awesome. I also want to say we have a few pictures that we're going to show. We have 24 hours of prayer. The event finished last night. How many of you got to come and see the prayer event and be a part? Wasn't it awesome? You know, we had, here's some pictures of the stations and the prayer event as it was set up in the NPR. We had somewhere between five and 600 people go through this prayer event over the last 21 or 24 hours. And let me just tell you, we have kept it up on purpose for those of you who missed it. And so after service today, if you would like, you can head back to the NPR. And if you don't have time to go through the whole thing, go back and go to a couple stations and I'm going to tell you, you need to experience that prayer time. It's amazing. We're also going to open it up. We're going to close it probably around 1.30, but then we're going to open it back up at 3 o'clock and leave it open leading up to the outpouring tonight. So if you want to come back and pray before the outpouring, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then tonight we're going to conclude 21 days of fasting and prayer. God is going to pour out his spirit. We're going to have an outpouring in this place. And if you've never been, you need to come. God's going to do some great things tonight. We're going to lay hands on people and pray for miracles. We're going to worship God. We're going to release some prophetic things that God has given us. We might even have a Jericho march. Some of you remember back in the days, the Jericho march? We're talking about Jericho today. We may end up having a Jericho march. I don't know. We'll see. 
but we're so glad that you're here. I want you to stand your feet. Those of you joining us online, I want to encourage you to do that right where you are. We stand to honor and respect the Word of God. And so today as we stand, I want us to read our theme verse in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. Will you all read it with me? Those of you online as well, let's read together. Don't sh- eyes to the ground absorbed with the things right in front of you. And be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. We've been talking about the fact that God wants us to look up. That's what this series for the last several weeks has been. Changing our focus. Too many times we live down, we look down. Instead of looking up and seeing the things that God is doing and understanding that we don't live life from an eter- from a earthly perspective, but we have to change our mentality to live life from an eternal perspective. So today I want to pray a prayer. I want you to close your eyes as we lift our voice together in prayer. Father, I come today. I ask that the anointing, I already sense it's here, but that that anointing would touch every word that's spoken. Let me get out of the way and Lord, show up in this room. Let your voice echo in the hearts of every believer both in this room and in in homes around the world. God, I thank you for what you're going to say to us today. We open our hearts to hear it and receive it. Say this prayer with me. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I surrender my heart to you right now. In Jesus' name. Now, before we say amen, just take one more moment. Just open your heart to the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you're here. Spirit, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord has been speaking to my heart, and um, I am actually started a book on the Holy Spirit, and possibly sometime during this year or next year, we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, and I can't wait to, to share that with you. It's something I'm taking my time on, but we need to know and understand the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive into that later on. You know, we've been talking about looking up, and we've learned some principles, and we've realized that as we've studied through the book of Joshua, kind of in a nutshell, this book took place at the Jewish New Year. So it's very apropos for you and I as we start the new year. The correlation is amazing, and it was about how the children of Israel were leaving the wilderness They're putting behind them some things, one of them being the death of Moses. God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. And sometimes we have things from the past that have died. We have issues that we need to bury, we need to put behind us. And we need to step into the promised land, the things that God has for us. Anybody believe God has some things for you in 2015? So the message has been over the last three weeks, Moses, my servant, is dead. Stand up and lead. Week one, we learned that God wants us to stand up and lead and not let excuses hold us back. And that we need to step out. And that stepping out, it's in the stepping that God begins to release the miraculous. When they stepped in the water, that's when the miracle began to happen and the Jordan was stopped. We learned in week two that God wants us to gather up. And we talked about the pile of stones, the 12 stones that were created and how that God has a place for us. And that when we gather up, it's not just about us, but that God wants us to be a part of somebody else's journey to help them get into their promised land. And we learned that together we're better, right? 
that we can do more when we come together in agreement and we gather together. Last week, we learned the, the third big idea, and that was this, and is that it was that God wants us to clean up. We talked about circumcision and how that sometimes God needs to cut some things off and bring purity in our life. We have to go through Gilgal to get to Jericho. Jericho representing the promised land, Gilgal representing circumcision, and that God is sometimes cutting away some things in our lives. And so I want to give you the last big idea. If you have your notes, I want you to write this down. We've been building to this all um, last three weeks leading up to this week, which is simply the big idea. Those of you who joined us, we had someone just join us from Seattle. We're glad you're with us. Write this point down. The next step to entering into our promise, to reaching the promises God has for us, is we have to look up. Everybody say, look up. Now, I want you to see where God brought me to, because when I was praying about this series, this next verse is the passage that God brought to my mind when I was praying. And I want to read it to you. It's found in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 says this. It says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he what? He what? He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. This whole series, God's been speaking to me. When I'm preaching and teaching, most of the time I'm teaching and preaching to me. And hopefully you're getting something too. <laughs> but God led me to this verse which started this whole series. I didn't know I was going to be going through Joshua when the Lord led me to this theme. But this passage right here of looking up, Joshua near Jericho, and while he was there, he looked up. Now, what I want to do today is take that big idea, and then I want to break down some things about what it means to look up. Because as we read through this story and how that Joshua looks up, there's several principles there that will help you and I understand how that you and I can change our perspective from a worldly perspective to an eternal, a supernatural, a heavenly perspective. And so I'm going to give you four ideas of what looking up is all about. You all with me? Say amen. amen. All right, we're being interactive today. So if you're going to look up, here's the first big idea. Write this down. These are our points that we're going to follow along. If you're going to look up, you need to do number one, which is hook it up. Hook it up. Now, I was going to say hook up, but that in our culture means a whole other thing. So I decided to stay away from it, all right? So it's hook it up. What I'm really talking about is receptivity. Now, let me explain. The Bible says that Joshua was near Jericho. When I was doing some study, I was reading commentators, and many commentators believe that Joshua was near Jericho because he was there praying and seeking God. Interesting that we're in a season of prayer and seeking God. He was there praying, meditating, seeking God for the direction or the strategy to take God's promise to conquer Jericho. What's interesting is if you look at the Hebrew words there, it says that he looked up, and the Hebrew word for look up there literally just means to lift upward. And then it says, so he lifted upward his eyes and saw. And the word saw there is the real important one because here's what it means. In the Hebrew, it means not just to see, but it means to consider, to discern, to perceive. So in other words, Joshua wasn't just looking, he was looking with the idea of, I want to understand. 
Looking up is about opening our heart. 21 days of fasting and prayer. Prayer is what, you know, connects us with God. Fasting is what disconnects us from the world. And so what God is wanting to do is for us to begin to look to him, but not just look like, wow, cool, but look with eyes of discernment, of understanding, to try to receive, to try to hear, to try to understand. Now, let me tell you, Joshua was someone who knew how to look with a desire to understand. You know why? He saw it modeled by his mentor, Moses. Moses was a man who would look up. We know that he would go up the mountain and he would talk with God. Remember, there would be clouds at the top of the mountain and he would literally be with God, hearing God. But you know what's interesting? Is many of the stories where we hear that Joshua went up the mountain, we realize that he didn't go alone. There was someone that was just down the hill a little ways. And you know what his name was? Joshua. So Joshua was learning the principle of looking up of learning to hear God. Moses led by hearing God. He did what God said. Only one time do we know that he did something that he wanted to do, and it ended up causing him to miss out on the promised land. He always sought God. He discerned. He looked up. When Moses went into the tabernacle, the the place of meeting with God, if you read the story, he would go in, and just outside the tabernacle was somebody else, and his name was Joshua. So Joshua had learned this principle of looking up and this idea of learning to hook it up. Now, let me explain. You know, we have at our our house one of those little cell towers because we can't get coverage from the big cell towers, so we have it through our internet. But what happens is every once in a while, my phone or our phones, they, they go into a funky mode and they don't work. And I'll look at my phone and I'll see that it's not hooked up to the internet. It's not hooked up to the cell service. And so what I'll do is I'll reboot my phone because it hasn't been connected to the service or connected to the Wi-Fi. Could be an hour, could be a half an hour, could be two hours, and I'll reboot my phone. And when I reboot my phone, as it comes back on, it goes into search mode and it gets hooked up to the internet. And as soon as it gets hooked up to the internet... I'll hear a sound like this. What does that mean? I either got a text or I got an email. I wasn't getting it. It was already there. The message had already been, been sent, but I didn't know it and I didn't hear it because it wasn't hooked up. Or maybe I'll hear a sound like this. You have a message from God. Or maybe I'm a weird person and you'll hear a sound like this. You know, a lot of people have different sounds for their, you know, indicators that they've got a message. The point is, you ready? Here's the idea. You won't receive a message if you're not connected to the signal. And what 21 days of fasting and prayer is all about, it's about you and I developing the discipline to hook it up, to get connected, to look up, to be someone who is discerning and seeking. I love the passage in Jeremiah 29 verse 12, which says this, in those days when you pray, I will listen, God says. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Here's the point. 
the finding comes through the looking. Can I say that again? The finding comes through the looking. And I know this is a foundational, I know it's a basic point that I'm making, but what I'm trying to help you and I to understand is that looking up is not just about looking out, it's about connecting to God. It's about getting online. It's about making sure that our hearts are in a position of receptivity, because how many times do we live and there are messages that are waiting, messages that are waiting to download into our life concerning our families, concerning our business, concerning our calling but we don't receive them because we're not looking up. Y'all with me? Say amen. amen. So the idea of looking up is, first of all, you got to hook it up. Everybody say hook it up. Okay. Here's the second thing you have to do. This is what's going to catch you off guard. Second thing you have to do is not just hook it up. You have to shut up. <laughs> Some of you are like, shut up. What? Shut up. I know. That's like a bad word when you have kids that are little, right? We don't say that. We say, be quiet. <laughs> Have you ever had a conversation with someone and you start to talk, but as you're talking, they keep interrupting you? Right? Let I me mean, know what I'm talking about. You're, 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 I, wait. Yeah, and finally, inside, you just want to go, shut up. Right? Let's keep reading in the story because Joshua looks up. He sees... This commander, this person with a sword in their hand, look at what it says in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? And then the person says, neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Let me just stop and say commentators don't agree on this. But I think that, that there's probably a larger consensus with what I believe, which is that this was the pre-incarnate Christ. So imagine it's the pre-incarnate Christ, and he says, Neither one, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your shoes or take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, when you first read this story, and he says, are you friend or foe? And then Jesus shows up with the sword in his hand, and he says, neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I, I read through lots of books. I did a lot of study. I, I looked in the Hebrew and, and I, all of that. And there's just no consensus clearly as to why he said neither one. Because when he says neither one, it really doesn't make sense. That, that Jesus or an angel, however you might, some believe it was Michael the archangel, whichever one it was, that there's no consensus as to why he said neither one, because it doesn't make sense. Because we know that Joshua was leading the people of God, that was the Lord's army, and obviously there was a spiritual army there as well. But he was leading the Lord's army. We know that God was for Israel and that God was against the land of Canaan. Canaan was being judged for their continual sin. God is a God who is gracious, but he's also slow to anger. But there comes a point where he will bring consequence for sin. And so after many, 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 many years, finally it was time for Canaan to experience consequence for their sin, and it was time for God to fulfill his promise, to give the promised land to the people of Israel. So God was for Israel. So why did he say neither one? 
And that's what have, has commentators confounded. They don't agree. They don't understand. Some believe it was for this reason. But as I began to read it, here's what I believe, why I think he said neither one. Because what I think he was really saying was simply this. Joshua runs up and says, who are you with? Are you with us or with them? And he says, shut up. <laughs> Joshua, quit talking. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua, just don't say anything else because it proves every time you talk that you don't understand. Because here's the deal. You think you're the commander of the Lord's army. But I am. So instead of talking, because as you talk, you won't realize that I'm in charge. You'll think you are. And as you keep talking, you'll think that maybe you know the way and the plan and the strategy to defeat Jericho. So just be quiet. Neither one. Here's what you need to know. I'm the commander of the army. I'm the commander of this situation. In fact, you know what the Bible says in Isaiah? There's a verse in Isaiah 55, verse 8, which says, For my thoughts, this is God speaking, are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways. In other words, I know how things are supposed to be done. And so here's what I think the takeaway is for you and I. When he says, neither, I'm the Lord and the commander of the Lord's armies. Here's basically what he's saying. Hey, Joshua, you think you're in charge of Israel, but remember, I am. Let's make it practical. You think those kids that you have are your kids and you're in charge, but everything belongs to him. You think that company that you're leading is your company, but it's not your company, it's his. You, you think that that classroom that you're teaching in is your classroom, but it's not, it's his. So quit talking so you can hear what I want to say. And what I want to say is this, let me be in charge. Here's the big idea, ready? God can't lead if we think we're in charge. God can't lead. You know, here's what's interesting. The children of Israel didn't have any weaponry to siege a city. Jericho was shut up. The walls were super high. Some historians believe that the, those walls, I can't remember the exact height, but they were wide enough to race chariots around. There were massive walls. So here's the thing. Israel didn't have any sieging weapons. They didn't have the, you know, you've seen like in Lord of the Rings, the, the big catapults that throw stones. They didn't have any of those. They didn't have any battering rams that they would, you know, come up and get at the front gate and hit the, the door to try to break it in. They didn't have, you know, any huge ramps with wheels that they could come up against and everybody could climb up. You know what they had? They had swords, they had spears, and they had slingshots. Now imagine trying to defeat a city with swords, spears, and slingshots. Why is it that God said, just quit talking and let, let yourself hear what I'm saying, that 
I'm in charge. Here's why. Because you and I are trying to fight battles with swords and slingshots and spears. And that's because we think we're in charge. But what God's trying to do is to get us to shut up or be quiet enough where we can look up and hear God so that God can show us what we need. Because he's in charge and he's got a plan and we can trust in him. Somebody say amen. Amen. Now, what was Joshua's response? The Bible said the first thing he did is he bowed. You see, when he started listening, he realized that the Lord was in charge. So he said, you're in charge. I humble myself. In reverence, the word reverence is worship. He began to worship. He began to acknowledge by listening. He began to acknowledge who was Lord who was in charge. And we're still driving the ship. We're still plugging in the GPS. We're still talking, ba 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 ba. And God's saying, hey, just let's be quiet a little bit. Here's why, so that you can know who's really in charge. What was the second thing he did? Is he bowed and then he said, tell me what to do. Tell me what your servant should do. And then what does God say? He says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And the Bible said he took off his shoes. Here's what I love about that. I'm not going to teach on it, but there's a great principle right there, and that is what's standing between you, what's in between you and God's holy presence? I'll just leave that with you. You can chew on that for a while. So we got to hook it up. We got to shut up. That's what looking up is all about. You ready for the third one? You got to keep it up. Say, keep it up. Keep it up. Let's look at what happens next. They get a plan for taking the city. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, it says, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark. Underline that. Highlight it on your phone, in your Bible. Seven priests. You and your fighting mates, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people will charge straight into the town. If you read verse 10, he says, and oh, by the way, when you march, shut up. That's what he says. Don't say a word. Don't talk. Isn't it interesting what God said to Joshua? He ends up saying, Joshua, you tell it to the people. Don't talk. So they don't. And it says in verse 15, they walked around the city. They kept doing. They were keeping up. They're continuing to do what God had said. And here's the end of it. On the seventh, verse 15, on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. They just keeping it up, keep doing what God said, marching around the city, marching around the city, don't talk, march around the city. But this time, they went around the town seven times, the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Now, as we read through this story, the first point I just want to make, and this is a little sub point I'm throwing in, and that is, they said, when you go, tell the priests to lead the way. Can I tell you, there's a beautiful principle right there, and that is that priests lead the way. 
Now, some of you, as soon as you think of that, you think, well, that's cool. We've got a pastor and we've got spiritual leaders. And, but here's the deal. Did you know that you're a priest? There's a hidden message right there for you and I. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9? It says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal what? Royal what? You're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. In other words, here's the first point. Priests lead the way. In fact, remember when they went into the Jericho or into the Jordan River? Who led the way? The priest stepped into the water first. My point is simply this, is that God wants you to stand up and lead. And here's why. Because you're a priest. You're someone that God wants you to use to connect God and man. He's someone that well, he wants to use you. He wants to let you be a vessel, a tool in his hand, to be a blessing to bring others along. So the point being is that you and I have got to lead, stand up and lead. Amen? So what does it mean to keep it up? What were they doing? What, were, what, were, what was the thing that they needed to keep on doing until God gave the signal? And what is the thing that you and I need to keep on doing until God gives the signal? Well, here's basically what God said. It's a good thing. You should write it down. And that's this. Ready? No talking. Just keep walking. No talking. Just keep walking. What does that mean, Pastor Jerry? What are you talking about? No talking, keep walking. You see, I want to tell you something. Sometimes God says if we're going to look up and change our perspective, we've got to learn how to shut up and then keep it up, the shutting up part. We've got to keep it up. Why is it that? Because here, sometimes God has put us in a place or a season of waiting. They had to wait till everything was ready for the shout and the conquest. But what happens is, is we start walking, but then we start talking. And here's what you need to know about talking. Did you know the Bible says in James that your tongue is like the rudder of a ship? So when you and I begin to talk, here's what we do. We put our hands on the steering wheel. And we start directing our life. And what did the, the beginning of this story say? Take your hands off the steering wheel. You're not the one in charge. I am. So do my way. Circle the city. Don't talk. Just walk. But the problem is, while we're waiting for the breakthrough or while we're waiting for the miracle, we start to talk while we walk, and then we take control of the steering wheel, and then we end up off course, and we're not circling the city anymore. Now we're saying, well, you know, God hasn't come through, and you don't know how long I've been waiting, and God, where are you, and can you believe? And pretty soon now we're veered off, and we're off to another city in another place, and God just simply saying, quit talking and just keep on walking. But God, I'm struggling because I'm sick. I've been sick for a long time, and I've gone to doctors, and I've done everything I'm supposed to do, and I'm taking herbal supplements. I'm sick of supplements, and I take vitamins, so many vitamins, and I, I'm doing everything. I, I've done everything. I've gone up for prayer every week for the last three weeks, and what do we do? We start complaining, or we start sharing our doubts and our fears, and, and what do we do? We grab the steering wheel, and what God's saying is, hey, don't contaminate the journey. Stop talking and just keep walking. Because I've called you to wait. Wait upon the Lord. 
and you shall renew your strength. You will rise up with wings as eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Sometimes the waiting, we'll talk about the waiting in a second. Can I tell you what waiting means? I heard this from someone last night. Here's what the word wait means. Do you guys have that? Can you pull it up? To wait means, why am I talking? Why have I grabbed a hold of the wheel? Because you'll start talking and you'll start talking and pretty soon you're mumbling under your breath. And what's God saying? Grab your lips. Stop talking and just keep on walking. Be not weary in doing good for in due season you will reap if you faint not. So don't contaminate the journey. Don't grab the wheel. Just keep walking. Stop talking. Keep walking. Stop talking and trust in me because I'm in charge and you can put your faith in me. Somebody say amen to that. So we got to hook it up. We got to get receptive. We got to open our hearts to begin to hear the downloads that God has for us. We've got to silence ourselves. We have to shut up and say, okay, God, you talk. I'll listen. I'll acknowledge you're in, you're in control. Not my way, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands. I can't do it on my own. <laughs> I want to be on American Idol so bad. <laughs> Not really. We got to hook it up, we got to shut up, and then we got to keep it up. Some of you, here's the word you need to know. Maybe you're in a season where you're waiting. Don't give up on God. There's power in confession. What does the Bible say that what we say can give life or death? And it's not that we're not, you know, that we're, we're imperfect people. And we'll do things. But we know the difference between having a moment where we kind of vent and living a lifestyle of venting. And there's a lot of us that allow the gate to stay open. And we just keep on talking and we veer off course Sometimes we just need to speak truth and love. We need to trust in God. We just need to close the lips, stop talking, and keep walking. And we need to wait. Here's the last point. So we hook it up, we shut up, we keep it up, and here's the last thing. You ready? We speak up. The last thing in this story that we see about looking up and seeing the breakthrough and the promises in our life is there comes a moment, there comes a time when the waiting's over. There comes a time, as the scripture says, we're in due season, we'll reap if we faint not. There comes a time where we yell charge and we run in. There comes a time when the horn sounds and we shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Look at what it says, Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. It says, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. Can I just count to three and somebody shout for a second? One, two, three. Not bad. Not bad at all. There comes a time when God says you don't have to be quiet anymore comes a time when you declare, when you stand, when you profess, when you begin to speak and declare and you shout and you speak up. It's interesting. 
Because if you look at the story and you look at the culture of the day, Jericho represented a stronghold. And in order for the stronghold, what was the stronghold? It was a place of safety for the enemy. It was the high ground. So they would build a wall and they would be secure behind that stronghold, that high place. And isn't it interesting, in order for Israel to be able to receive their promise, they had to look up and address the stronghold. But the way they addressed the stronghold was obviously, we've talked about it, getting connected to God's plan, receiving that, you know, letting him take ownership of the process, being faithful and walking it out. But there came a moment where the breakthrough had to come by looking up and then declaring that the stronghold come down. And you realize that you and I, just like that, that day, that there are strongholds that are standing between you and promises that God has for your life. In fact, the Bible tells us, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, here's what's awesome. God has given you weapons, not swords and not spears and not slingshots, but battering rams, catapults, ramps for addressing strongholds. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down what? Strongholds of what? Of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So God has given us the moment as we're not talking and we're just walking that he's preparing the battle for the moment that you and I release our weapon, which is to declare. You know what's interesting? Is that God gave you weapons. He gave you armor. And it says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So there's those high things again. There's those strongholds, right? And he says, I've given you the armor. Put on the armor of God so that you can battle against the enemy. And every piece of armor that we have is defensive. It's to protect us, except for for one, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is defined as the Word spoken. Speak up. It's part of what this prayer process is. What are you doing? You're speaking up. You're declaring. You see, there are strongholds. There are high things that are standing. There are arguments and pretensions. Your kid Maybe your child that's away from God and struggling with some addiction. They've bought into the lie. They've bought into the mentality that they need that in their life to cope. So you've got to come and you've got to walk and you've got to be quiet. Instead of every time you see them and say, what's wrong? Why don't you change? How come you're doing that? You're better than this. Instead of talking and talking and talking, sometimes you just got to stop talking and just keep walking. And start circling around them. Start believing. Start asking God to do what only he can do. And then there comes a moment when you begin to speak and you begin to declare and you begin to say I tear down that stronghold I tear down that mindset that they need pot to get by every day I tear down that stronghold that they need to be you know, promiscuous to get it, to be, to be happy to, to be fulfilled, to feel valued I tear down that stronghold God wants us to speak up there comes a time that we've got to shout and we've got to pray and we've got to declare God's promises 
You see, the walking and not talking is needed because of this principle right here. I'm going to show you a video right now. Guys, will you bring that up? see, what we had here was a, a high place. And if that high place fell down the wrong way, there's going to be collateral damage. So in order for it to fall, there's a strategy where the demolition experts go in and strategically place the dynamite in the right locations so when the time comes to pull the trigger or to shout, it falls, it's destroyed, but it limits the collateral damage. So I believe that what happened in the spirit when, when, the, when Jesus shows up and tells Joshua, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, not you. So stop talking and start walking. And as they began to do that, it gave time. This is my own belief. But I believe while they were doing that, that the angels and the principalities of God, that the, the warriors of God were strategically placing the dynamite all throughout the walls of Jericho. And who knows if right now, while you're not talking and just walking, who knows if right now, while you're just being faithful, you're not going to be weary and doing good. You're going to keep tithing, even though you haven't seen the breakthrough yet. You're going to keep forgiving, even though someone has hurt you badly. You're going to keep believing. And, and as you walk and don't talk and take the wheel, God's just strategically placing everything so that the moment will come that you can arise, you can shout, you can pray, you can declare and the walls are going to come down the strongholds are going to change and there's not going to be any collateral damage you're not going to have to lose anything or anyone in order for that kind of breakthrough to come in order for you to step in what happened the Bible says that when they shouted the walls collapsed and they charged into the city and they grabbed a hold the promise. I'll end with this story. There was a man by the name of Chamberlain. There's a strong anointing in this room. Those of you watching online, I don't know if you can sense it in your home, but this is a year of breakthrough. This is a year that walls are going to come down. This is the year things are going to change. Chamberlain was a colonel in the Civil War for the Union Army. He oversaw 300 men. And so there was a battle that took place called the Battle of Gettysburg. And he was assigned to one spot, and he was supposed to stand his ground with 300 men against the advancements of the Confederate Army. There were lots of soldiers, thousands of soldiers, and so these 300 men, men, they stood their ground, and wave after wave after wave of attack, the Confederates came and tried to break through. And finally, after one, one just horrific advancement by the Confederates, the Confederates retreated to go recharge and put, you know, with the, the muskets and things, they had to put the, the bullets back in their guns. And as... Chamberlain looked at his group. He was now down from 300 soldiers to 80 soldiers. 
And when he began to ask, he found out that his soldiers had one shot left. And he looked at one of his men and he said, hey, go and find out when the backups, when the reinforcements are going to show up. And they they came back and they said, I've got bad news. There are no reinforcements. It's just us. Now, what he could have done is he could have started talking. He could have started justifying. Well, you know what? I'm just, a, I'm just a teacher. I'm a student of theology. I'm not a colonel. Let's just run, guys. Let's, let's sneak off, and we'll live to fight another day. He could have done that. He could have started talking. But to the amazement of the 80 soldiers and to the amazement of over 1,000 Confederate soldiers, Chamberlain stood up on a wall of blocks. He pulled out his sword. And to total amazement of of his men and the, the Confederate soldiers, he yelled these words, or this word, Charge! And him and 80 men, he and 80 men, saw one of the most improbable, lopsided victories in the history of war. In five minutes flat, 80 men captured over a thousand Confederate soldiers. In fact, historians believe that if he hadn't held his ground, that the Confederates would have taken that and gotten the higher ground. And had they gotten higher ground, the higher place, the high place, that they would have probably then been able to win at Gettysburg. And if they would have won at Gettysburg, the Union would have lost. The battle was won because someone was willing to speak up. Someone was willing to take on the enemy. Someone was willing to stand their ground. There was something miraculous that happened with those 80 men. I believe there was righteousness behind the cause to abolish slavery and and all of that. I believe that somehow probably God stepped in. And I want to tell you that many times we don't position ourselves for God to step in. We don't position ourselves for the miraculous to take place. And the reason is is because we just take the wheel and we start talking and we start complaining and we start gossiping. And what God's saying is quit talking and just keep walking. And there'll come a moment where you'll see that the timing is right. There'll come a moment where you can stand up in confidence and take my hand and you can grab the sword and you can speak to strongholds and you can speak to high places and mentalities will change. Thought processes will change. Walls will collapse and fall down. You'll grab a hold of promises. You'll see breakthrough. And I'm telling you, 2015, I believe, is a season of breakthrough for you and for me.